0: So I'd like to uh, speak to you this Lord's Day about how husbands should live with their wives. How husbands should live with their wives. This will be a um, a two-part series. Well, the Apostle Peter spent a significant part of his letter covering Christian conduct, as we saw, and the respect that believers should show toward one another and the community at large. He also Gave clear guidelines and instructions when dealing with those having governmental authority. We saw that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. And the scripture says, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God. As Brother Keith mentioned this morning, the fear of God. Fear God and honor the king is definitely the apostle's comprehensive charge. He gives to the church And having dealt with the society at large in his time period, and also it's relevant to ours as well, he moved on to Christian slaves and the behavior and attitude they should have toward their masters before addressing the relationship between husband and wife. Now, Peter instructs also servants to be submissive to their masters, as we saw, irrespective of whether they are good or uh, gen- and gentlemen, or unreasonable overlords, who cause their slaves unjust sufferings—it's not easy, is it? Uh, it's easy to love those that love you, Jesus said. You have no reward, really. The reward comes when we love those that hate us and our enemies. First Peter chapter two verse eighteen and nineteen covers that. Then we moved on and we saw First Peter chapter two verse twenty that. Peter once again reminds them of Christ's teaching, which is paramount. This is where he's getting his, his really, I uh, like what MacArthur says, the New Testament epistles, uh, everything in the New Testament, really uh, after Jesus, after the gospel, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, told by three different evangelists, writers, uh, everything that is followed after that, or co- is commentary on the life of Jesus Christ, and that is so true. So he reminds them of Christ's teaching that there is no reward for being nice to those that are good to you, as I mentioned. And we see that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 through verse 25. He used Christ's sufferings as the perfect example. I think that's the most important part of this whole letter is right there is that Jesus, he says in verse 21, for you have been called for this purpose. For this purpose. And uh, that perfect example of um, when someone has been reviled and did not respond with threats. That's Jesus is our perfect example. But kept entrusting himself. He entrusted himself to him who judges righteously. Now beloved, it was in that context as I just mentioned of godly submission. In the midst of sufferings to these early Christians that Peter moved uh, to the conduct of wives and to their own husbands and had uh, six whole verses of Scripture that he addresses the virtues of a godly wife. We saw that. So then before attending to the conduct of Christian husbands, um, now we have come to this section of Holy Scripture from the hand of the Apostle Peter, who himself was a husband, as you can well see in Scripture. He had a mother-in-law, and Jesus healed her of a, from a fever. And he gives instructions. He gives good instructions, doesn't he? I like that word instructions, because Scripture mentions that by the Apostle Paul that Scripture gives us instructions in righteousness, in righteousness, It's the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that was breathing upon this apostle, breathing upon the men of old and these godly men moved by the Holy Spirit as God was breathing upon them. So we know that this is the word of God, not the word of men. They were just basically moved by the Spirit of God to write in the language of men. And that's wonderful, isn't it? We believe that. So he is moved by the Holy Spirit about the corresponding conduct of husbands uh, towards their wives in a beautiful order. And I love that. There is, is an order. God is a God of order. What's messed up the order? Sin has messed up the order. Sin has caused chaos. Chaos. Uh, God is not the author of confusion. And today, look around us. We see nothing but confusion among the married. Uh, I, had, I was telling to my wife, Teresa, I said, sad, I have to say this. Uh, I have to specifically go a little bit further what it means by husband and wife. One man, a male, a husband, and one wife, a woman. Because if I just left it husband and wife, people would think partners of the same sex. We disagree with that, and because of what the Scripture says, that from the beginning God made, as one preacher put it, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And I hold to that because the Holy Scripture would be loving to these people that disagree with this, but they're totally, completely out of line against Scripture. This is where we stand, is the Word of God. So, then he speaks of the conduct of husbands toward their wives, and this is very convicting. I told uh, Brother Keith this morning, I said, my toes has already been stepped on before I come up here, and I'm going to continue to step on my toes and But I'm, I'm going to minister what the Word of God says about this, that there is a beautiful order. God brings a created order and that God Himself has instituted Himself when He created man and, when he, and, and out from man He made a woman. Isn't it beautiful? God saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone. And I'm so thankful that He made a woman. And it's not good to be alone. We're going to look at that. And it becomes very clear. So today, as we look at the instructions given to husbands, this is a word to husbands, a word to husbands, and how husbands should live with their wives. And we're going we're to look at so what that means. Again, this is a part one of a two-part message. By no means, it's exhaustive, okay? Well, I'm just scratching the surface here. Um, but Lord willing, we'll look at part two next, Lord's Day. And we're only going to look at one verse of Scripture today, verse 7 from chapter 3, verse... 7 from chapter 3 of 1 Peter. Hear the word of the living God. You husbands, in the same way, some translation says in the like manner, but in the same way, in like manner, live or dwell with your wives according to knowledge or in an understanding way as with someone weaker, a weaker vessel. Since she is a woman, And show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. May God richly bless the reading of His Word from our ears to our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Father, we would ask, O God, as we look to You and worship You for Your wonderful hand upon us, O God. We would ask, O God, our Father, that as we come to You in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and as we worship You in spirit and truth and that our worship will be acceptable to You as a sweet-smelling aroma and as we adore You, O God, and You alone, for You are worthy. We bless Your holy name. Lord, we would ask that You would fill us with Your Spirit. Fill us with Your Spirit this morning through Your Word. That's how it comes is through the word by your spirit. Teach us, for he is your spirit is the true teacher, the spirit of truth to teach us your way, your way, O oh God. And we would ask for your help and your grace upon us and anoint, Lord, each and every one here, our hearts to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Lord, help us within this hour. In weakness we come, in fear and trembling we come, but Lord, we come. And we would pray that Your Word would sanctify us and cleanse us, break us, and use us in the end. And we would ask this for Your glory, and we ask this in the the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, marriage is the most intimate relationship that two human beings can experience. The most intimate relationship that two beings, human beings, can experience. Second only to a relationship with God Almighty, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Marriage brings out the best and the worst in most people. Seems to be in my case, anyway. It definitely, is work, and it's rewarding as well. As two separate individuals struggles, and by the way, it is a struggle, but it's a blessing. It has a twofold to it. It is because the work uh, that's behind it, and it is one flesh coming together. Two individuals and one flesh merge together, and holy matrimony and covenant. And at the root of most marriages, there's a problem. And the biggest problem that we all have is self. I can honestly say that's the biggest struggle I've had is self. Selfishness, self-centeredness, self-indulgence. Reminds me of John and Charles Wesley's godly mother Susanna Wesley said this years ago and this is a great quote The tap root of sinfulness is selfishness. I want you to think of that. If you want to see how sinful a person is, you can see how selfish they are. Self-centeredness. The more selfish a person is, the more sinful they are and vice versa. But it's absolutely she was absolutely right. The taproot of sinfulness is selfishness. And when one or both partners, husband and wife, male and female, choose to live as though their his or her needs, deserve priority, top priority, or top consideration, conflict results. Conflict happens. And it does happen. That's when the conflict comes on the war zone. What does the Word of God say about that? James chapter 4 Verse 1 through 3 says this What is the source of quarrels and the conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. So that you may spend it on your pleasures. There you have the taproot of sinfulness, selfishness, conflict, wars. And that happens in marriage quite often. As sad as that is, but it's true. The taproot of our problems, especially within our home. Conflicts in the home, conflicts in the church arise. Why? Because people want their own way. People want their own way. The husband wants their own way. The wife wants their own way. They want their way. They won't, won't, won't. Doesn't the Word of God says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want? They want to lead the group. They want to go in front. They want to be dominant. They push and push and push their way to the top. But beloved, someone who is spirit-filled and that is desiring Christ-likeness more than anything else in this world, doesn't fight for the top. And by the way, He fights for the bottom. Jesus said, He that is first will be last, and he that is last will be first. He that humbles himself shall be exalted, and he that exalts himself shall be humbled. That's the way it works. And what is taught through the Word of God, we are called to submit. And this is what this is all about, is submission to God and to His authority. Pastor John MacArthur has a wonderful observation. I got this quote. I was going to send it to Brother Keith and Keith. No, no, no. He said, hold on. (laughs) He sent this little meme with a whistle. Stop, stop. I want the fresh bread tomorrow, okay? And here it comes. Here's fresh bread. But Pastor MacArthur has a wonderful observation. Observation here, and he says this, quote, We're drowning in a sea of information on marriage today. Marriage seminars, marriage conferences, marriage encounters, marriage books, marriage counselors. People think the first thing they, they to do when they have a marriage problem is to see a counselor, a psychiatrist, and um, an analyst, an expert, buy a supply of books. Go to a seminar, listen to tapes, and fill out charts. That's the truth, isn't it? It's true. And then he says this, I don't want to oversimplify this, but if you're not spirit, uh, filled with the Spirit, you could do all those things, but none of them will matter. That gets right down to it. I agree with that 100%. Uh, on the, uh, and then he goes on. On the other hand, if you're filled with the Spirit, He'll control your relationships. Now, counseling books and seminars can be helpful in giving you practical hints and how being filled with the Spirit should work itself out in your relationships. And then he goes on to say, But the epitome of the Christian life is to be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. Only when that happens will our families be what God wants them to be. Amen. End quote. Oh, how true that is, isn't it? How true that is. We have the wrong focus. The focus should be is we should be saturating ourselves with the Word of God. And can I say this? So really, in effect, the Bible The Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, is the book for me. I'll stand alone in the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Sounds simple, doesn't it? But this is really the best book for marriage counseling, right here. The best and the only. If you want wisdom, if a husband and wife is having conflict, point them here, to the Word of God. So really, in effect, the Bible is the greatest book. This wonderful holy book, the Bible, is the best and only book it, when it comes to guidance and counsel and instructions and righteousness for marriage, for anything in life. For anything that pertains to life and godliness, Peter says. Praise God. The Word of God. Now verse 7 a verse Peter, uh, of, of First Peter gives us wise words. Heavenly wisdom to husbands and how they should live with their wives How should they live with their wives? And this is what we're going to be looking at. Submission to husbands and is the responsibility and the duty given in this verse. So the submission commanded to husbands, though not submitting to his wife, but is a leader, a servant leader I would say, a believing husband must submit to the loving duty of understanding and loving his wife. That's really the submission, is to God. He submits to God, but he's submitting to God under God's authority as the head of the home, as a servant leader, and the command is to love his wife. That's the command, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. A believing husband must submit to that loving duty, and I say it's a duty, because a lot of times it may not feel like it, but you don't do it, you, do, you don't do it, and do it, or whatever, because we don't go by feelings, right? We don't go by emotions. It's sacrificial love. It's a love of feeling. Not love, I'm sorry, a love of willing, not love of feeling. So a being caring and gentle and being sensitive to the needs, the fears, and the feelings and, uh, of his wife is to care for her in a loving way in an understanding way. Well, there's three words i like to set before you, and this is not original. I got this from MacArthur. But they're simple and it's something for us to remember. Three C's. There's consideration, there's chivalry, and there's companionship, which is communion. Consideration, chivalry, and companionship. Now, this is a word to husbands. Husbands, that's where we're to be. We're to be considerate, we're to be chivalrous, and we to be have companionship with our wife, which is communion. So let's consider these three important subjects as we look at what the Scriptures has to say to husbands in these important matters of how husbands should love their wives, verse 7. Let me read it again. You husbands, in the same way and like manner, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, the word live is is interesting isn't it so husbands will say well i live with her well there's a lot of husbands that just may share the same house <laughs> but they don't really live with her scripture says dwell that's really a great translation the godly husband lives dwells with his wife it doesn't necessarily mean just sharing a house but truly lives with her in communion intimacy not just sharing the same house no he recognizes the great truth of Paul's teaching on marriage in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 28 so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies and he who loves his own wife loves himself that's what scripture says so the godly husband understands the essential unity and oneness there's a oneness the two shall become one reminds me, I sent Brother Keith a picture of this, I was out doing some yard work and there was this picture that God put right in front of me is a large tree in our our yard. And this tree is grown up but it's literally two trees but at the base it's one. Now that sounds like a very simple analogy and an illustration but that tree is one tree but it's grown up to be two but it's one. There's a mystery in that, isn't it? That tree's one tree, but there's like two, but it's two and one. Well, isn't that what God has done? When He's put two different individuals together, they become one flesh. And that's the way God intends it to be, to be working in unity, in companionship, in unison. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 through 12 gives us some wisdom on this this is um, the preacher wise Solomon once again two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor for if either of them falls the one will lift up his companion then he says this but woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up verse 11 furthermore if Two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Companionship. Companionship. God has designed the husband and the man and the wife, the female, the husband, being the man, the servant, the servant, And the wife and the female to be two but one flesh. So that's what Scripture says. So their companionship, the husband, is to live, to dwell with his wife in an understanding way. He is to be considerate to her and to her needs and to her feelings in an understanding way. Don't you love what Peter says right here? He says it. Live, dwell with your wives in an understanding way. Way So, how is he to do this? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? How? Well, the text answers that question. The husband is responsible for taking his understanding and applying it in daily living and dwelling with his wife. And can I say this, and there's a footnote here, it seems that this is where us men fall and have trouble the most conflict, most of the conflict comes for the husbands. It's to follow through. Because we may know this in our head and knowledge, but applying it to our wives is where we have trouble. We must apply it. Now, they may have an understanding to some degree about their wives, but they don't use it as that they dwell and live with their own wives. Now, Scripture gives us the instructions in righteousness. That's important, isn't it? But what's more important than just knowing it in our head? James says it, be you doers of the Word, and not hearers only. Because if we just hearing it, and not applying it, not doing it, not practicing it, it's... It's like beholding holding ourselves in the mirror. We just sit there and it's not going anywhere. The Scripture wants us to lay this out bare in shoe-leather faith. To practice it. To walk it. That's what God talks about. Our character. Walking it. Living it. Who we are. But that's the most important thing is to apply the instructions that God gives us. There's a reason He's given us these instructions. So that we apply it to our personal daily living. Now, may God help us in this. And I'm praying for God's help myself to practice this. Submission, obedience to God, shoe-leather faith, in an understanding way. Well, let's look at this. Well, in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, as to someone weaker, what does that mean? A weaker vessel. She's a weaker vessel. Now, here we see consideration. The consideration is that the husband is to be considerate to his wife because she's weaker. Now, what does that mean, weaker? Does it mean she's weaker spiritually? By no means. She is fully equal in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, she just may be stronger than husbands spiritually. She's not inferior Spiritually, why? Because she's a woman. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one, notice that, one in Christ Jesus. Talking about the heir of God in Jesus Christ. This is your sister. And speaking to husbands, this is your sister in Christ. Spiritual children together in Jesus Christ. Heirs of God, joint heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs of Jesus Christ. So in the context here, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, the weaker vessel speaks of a woman's relative physical, physical weakness in comparison to men. And that is proven that a man has a stronger physical physique. Stronger built. Now, there are in our day... Uh, sad to say, a handful of women that's in the feminist group that are taking steroids that literally physically want to be stronger than men. there are some cases there, but we know how out of line that they are, right? That's not according to God's order, but most, most likely, and most women, women are weaker physically, that's proven. Men aren't necessarily stronger spiritually than the women, but they are generally stronger physically, generally. And as Peter brought in the idea of woman's feminine nature, don't you love that? The feminine nature of the woman with the words of his wife. He continues appreciating the feminine nature and how a husband should respond to it. Therefore, a godly husband realizes whatever limitations his wife has physically. See, she has limitations. The husband has to come alongside in an understanding way and to be considerate to her. This is just really 101 Christianity. It's simple that the husband should care for her and be considerate. He realizes whatever limitations he has and she has, and, and, and he does not expect more from her than is appropriate and kind. So husbands, in the same way, dwell with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman. And then what? To show her honor. To show her honor. Because of being the weaker vessel, the husband is to be her provider. Her provider. That's considerate. I'm thankful I'm a provider for my, for my wife and for my family. 1 Timothy five eight is a serious warning to all believers, especially men here. You can turn with me there if you like, but it's one scripture, it's a powerful scripture. It's one that we should memorize. It's one that's it's a warning. But first Timothy chapter five, verse eight. Chapter five, verse eight. But the apostle Paul, but if anyone does not provide for his own, speaking of his own household, and especially for those of his own household. He has denied the faith. He has denied the faith. That's serious. He's denied the faith. And he's what? Worse than an infidel. What's that word infidel? Unbeliever. A pagan. That is, that, that's such a warning. There's two warnings here. The one that's very serious and has been given in this verse that any believer who fails to obey this command is guilty of. Number one is, first, denying the principle of compassionate Christian love. That's what he's denying. That he's not providing. Jesus provides for us. He provides all for us. So not, should not the husband provide for his own wife in the same way Christ has provided for us? And that that is referring to the needs, by the way. Denying the principles of Christian compassionate love. And the second warning is, is being worse than an infidel. That one right there really strikes hard. Worse than a pagan. Worse than an infidel. Serious. Very serious. God's love always provides. The husband's love should be providing. And by the way, most pagans naturally fulfill this duty we see pagans out in our world today that even has some ethics now when you realize today that work ethics is going down the tubes unfortunately i know that sounds negative but look around us it's it's true but we are to provide as husbands for our own wives if we don't we're worse than the infidel if we disobey we behave worse than the pagans So husbands are to be providers. Providers in one way to honor his wife. To honor his wife. Now let me bring up something here. What Peter is speaking about. And you might find interesting. In Peter's day this teaching was absolutely radical. Why do I say radical? But it's really basic Christianity 101. In the ancient culture a husband had absolute rights in that time period over his wife. Completely absolute rights. And the wife had virtually no rights whatsoever. And Peter's writing this to believers. And even in the marriage. And now, this word that Peter gives and instructions he gives was revolutionary. And why do I say that in the ancient world? Because in the Roman world, if a man, here's an example, if a man caught his wife in an act of adultery, He could have her killed on the spot. But if a wife caught her husband, she could do absolutely nothing against him. That's the truth. Not fair. And it wasn't fair. But that just is an example of how wives and women were treated. And Peter comes here and he turns it upside down with the duties and obligations in marriage and I, I I just keep imagining that time period. That would be a very heavy burden for women. But aren't you glad for the gospel? The gospel reverses it. The gospel turns it all around. The gospel brought liberation, liberation to the women. And Peter turns it all upside down, so to speak, through the Spirit of God. Now Peter teaches us that the husband has. God ordained duties. These are God ordained duties. And these are obligations toward his wife. Husbands, show her honor. Show her honor. I like that word show, don't you? It's an action word. You know what that word show means? Demonstrate it to her. Just don't talk it, demonstrate it. I think a woman would love that, a wife would love that just to see it demonstrated. And not talking. I have to keep my mouth shut a lot of times and just shut up and be a servant. Honor her. Honor to the wife. That's a huge word, isn't it? Honor. Why? As a fellow heir of the grace of life. In marriage, this is the best earthly life has to offer. It's a little bit of heaven. A little taste of heaven. It's like the church, but first it starts in the home. Right there in the church. Jonathan Edwards said this. Every home unit should be like a miniature church. And that's the microcosm of it. And then it's carried over into the church. Husbands, show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Honor is given to his wife in action. Demonstrate it. Demonstrate it. A fellow heir of the grace of life. Marriage, this is the best earthly life outside of this side of heaven. I'm sorry. A man's attitude toward his wife should recognize the fact that she is a fellow heir of the grace of life. I love that. She's a fellow heir. She's alongside with you, a helpmeet to help you get through this life. That's her, that's her purpose, is to help and, and, and submission and love as she loves the husband. But the But overall... The most important thing is for the husband to love his own wife as Christ loved the church. Now I want you to think about this in comparison to our relationship to Jesus Christ and our, and the husband's relationship with the wife and that two shall be one. That's, that's what Paul was talking about. It's a mystery here. And the beauty of this is the two shall be one. We're in communion, union with Jesus Christ and Jesus loves us. And what most motivates us as believers to love Him back and submit to Jesus? It's His love. His intimate love for us. that, can, that can, Paul says it compelled Him. Oh, that, isn't that beautiful? So the fact that she is a fellow heir of grace, therefore the husband is to be strongly committed First, to Jesus Christ, to His Master. Second, to His marriage. And third, to His helpmeet. How? Ephesians 5.25-31 answers that. And I'd like to get into that later on, but we're not going to go there right now. But I believe that has a great deal to do. He is to be sacrificial. The husband is to be sacrificial in his love toward her as Christ was. And he is to be submissive to Christ as Christ was submissive to the command of His Father in giving her honor. For they are heirs together. Wayne Grudem says this in his commentary, This reminds husbands that even though they have been given great authority within marriage, their wives are still equal to them spiritually in privilege and eternal importance. They are joint heirs. End quote. And then last, we see that for the reason so that your prayers will not be hindered. Here, the communion. There is to be communion. This refers specifically to the husband's prayers. Love leads the way. Love leads the way. When there's discord, prayers are hindered. When there's discord, prayers are hindered. Commentator Big says this, the size of of the injured wife come between the husband's prayers and God's hearing. The sighs of the injured wife come between the husband's prayers and God's hearing. Most important, biblically, we have consideration, we have chivalry and communion. That's what we looked at. Let me, let me cap it off one more time on this. Let's look at those words real quickly again because we need to get that. I'm preaching to myself. I said, Pastor David, you need to get this. Consider it. Consideration. Dwell with your wives according to knowledge. What does that mean? The meaning of it is be sensitive, be understanding, be considerate. Be sensitive, understanding, consider. This is how husbands are to love their wives. Most women, most women will say this about husbands. My husband never understands me. My husband doesn't know where I'm at. Even though I'm here, he doesn't really know me. He's insensitive to my needs. We never talk. He doesn't know what I feel. He doesn't know what I'm thinking about. He doesn't understand my hurts. He doesn't really know me. Isn't that what most women, wives, say about their husbands? Yes. That's what they say. Peter says, dwell, live with your wives according to knowledge, to understanding. Basically, be sensitive. I'm, I'm preaching to myself here. I need to be sensitive to my wife's needs. I need to be understanding to her feelings, to her I'm devoted to her, I'm married to her in covenant love. What she feels, what she's about. Her interest. It isn't what we get out of marriage, right? It's what we give. That's where the reward comes. That's where the blessing comes. And we're going to look at more of that, Lord willing, next week. Or as we look at uh, verse 8 through 12. Peter says to sum it, all, sum it up. All of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing. Instead, for you were called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing for, and then he quotes a psalm, the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears attend to their prayers. See, there's the answer of, of the prayers being hindered right there. Then God comes, but the face of the Lord is again, against those who do evil. And we're going to look at that, a little, because I really believe He's speaking to husbands and wives in that context. But we'll look at that more later. Dwell with the, with the wives according to knowledge. Basically be sensitive and understanding It's not what we get out of marriage that counts, it's what we give. What about chivalry? How about being chivalrous? That's that is a that's almost like a foreign word in our culture today, isn't it? That's sad. Can you say amen, women? You know what I'm talking about. You just don't see chivalry. It's as almost rare as dinosaurs. It's almost basically extinct. But a God-fearing man, a God-fearing husband, a spirit-filled husband will give honor to his wife to the weaker vessel by being chivalrous. In other words, husbands realize physically and emotionally that they are stronger than the wives and he is to help in every way to be chivalrous. What is chivalry? Well, it's basically whatever happened to chivalry. (laughs) That's, That's the question. Whatever happened to chivalry? Well, it's being considerate. It's being kind. It's being showing good manners. That's very plain and it that's very practical. Makes me think you could be you could be twenty feet down the driveway while she still has one foot in the door and the husband will literally run to the door and open up the door and say, Here, sweetie. I catch the door for you. I do my best to do that. Sometimes Teresa beats me to it, but She's pretty fast. <laughs> I need to practice this myself. We need to be chivalrous men. Practice chivalry. That's pretty simple. Last communion, communion, being an heir together, the grace of life. That your prayers be not hindered. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. Don't you love Spurgeon? On a sermon he preached on from First Peter three. Indeed, he says, indeed, to true believers, prayers are so invaluable that the danger of hindering it is used by Peter as a motive why in their marriage, relationships, and household concerns, they should behave themselves with great wisdom. And he bids the husband dwell with his wife according to knowledge and render loving honor to her, lest their their united prayer should be hindered. And Spurgeon goes on to say, anything which hinders prayer must be wrong. Anything that hinders prayer must be wrong. If any management of the family or want of management is injuring our power in prayer, there is an urgent demand for an attention. End quote. Well, let me give you some application here. And I think this is what we need. Husbands. I, I think the, the great command is, is here. And this is the application. I'd like to pick up more on this, but I'm going to put it in a nutshell. We'll look at this more, Lord willing, next week. But in application, I'm going to give this one application. I think this is enough. Is the great command... Is husbands to love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave up Himself for it. That's the application. Can I say this? What did Jesus, how did He love His Church? He died for it. That's the kind of love that the husband is to have toward his wife. It's a dying love. Dying for someone. Is the most sacrificial act of submission possible. Jesus said, no greater love than this, than a man lays down his life for his friends. And Jesus says, you are my friends. And He laid down his life. Now, I don't know about you, as a husband, as I'm speaking this, that's convicting to me. You know, we are to be considerate and show her honor. We are to be chivalrous, show her honor that the prayers may not be hindered, but the greatest and the greatest command here is to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Dying love. It's dying love. It's the most sacrificial of all. The husband loving his wife. The standard is infinitely high, isn't it? It's too big. Actually, however text in Ephesians 5.25 speaks of, is it talking about the full capacity of the divine love? Rather, it's talking about the factors involved in the kind of Christ's love that He manifests. Now, what do I mean by that? It's obvious that there's no possible way we can match God's love, right? There's no way we can do it. In quantity or quality. But let me say this. Even though that's impossible. And it is impossible. But we are to have a love of a kind. What do I mean by that? It's almost like if you look at the ocean, you see the ocean, the greatness and the vastness of the ocean. If you go to the beach on vacation, I don't know about you, I love ocean view because it reminds me of the infinite love of God, like the ocean. The ocean is just so deep and large. And then I go over there and I take a bucket and I... I fill up that little bucket with the ocean. That bucket's full. Well, I think of myself being that bucket. I got the ocean in the a, a, just a part of that love of that great ocean, infinite ocean, in, in that little bucket. But we can have that. That bucket could be full. So we may possess the ocean, but we, we I'm sorry, we may not be able to possess the ocean, but we can have a little of the ocean in the bucket. Agape love. God defines love not as an emotion, not as a feeling, but it's a willing. It's a willing love. If we went by our feelings and our emotions, we'd be in trouble. We'd be in serious trouble. Any wonder why divorce rates are so high in our world? That's what they go by. They feel like, okay, I don't feel this warm, fuzzy feeling anymore and I'm going to just divorce you. That's the way they are. Divorce courts love it because it's money in their pocket. Sad, isn't it? Well, there's a love of the Bible that's not a feeling. It's an act of selfless love and sacrifice, and it's agape love. That's the highest love, and you know that. Anyone with a need is worthy of it. Let me illustrate this in in one great chapter. Go to with me, John 13. I think this will be the chapter for us to really practice and look at as we close. John 13. Let me read, Just let me read through it and I'll have a few comments. Look at Jesus as he, as he washes the disciples' feet. in Chapter 13 of John. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing, listen to this, knowing that His hour had come, that He, had, he would depart out of this world to the Father. He's about to go to the cross. Having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. Notice how it begins, how He loved them. And guess what the text is going to tell us? It's going to demonstrate how He loved us. How He loved His own. How He loved the disciples. And then it says in verse 2, During supper, the devil, the devil, having already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray Him. Jesus? Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. In verse 4, got up from supper, laid aside his garments, taken a towel. Look at the humility here. They were just arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. He takes a towel, he girded himself, then he poured water. Look at the servant, been a servant. He's the master. This is God in flesh. Then he poured water into a basin. Began, he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel uh, and with which he was girded. Verse 6, So he came to Simon Peter, and Simon wanted to be unsubmissive here at first. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. And Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Can you imagine saying that to Jesus? Jesus answered him and said, Jesus' answer is powerful. If if I do not wash you, you have have no part with me. That got his attention. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. And so when he had washed their feet, he had taken his garments, reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? What a question. Notice now, Jesus is teaching them. He's... he's, he's, The master is teaching. Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, so am I. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And notice what he says. It's exactly what Peter said. For I gave you an example. He didn't forget that, did he? For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. It's powerful. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, and you are blessed if you do them. If you do them. That's the key right there. Obedience. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. But it is the Scriptures may be fulfilled. And then he says this, Who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am He. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. What a lesson. What a lesson. What is going on here? Because they... Deserved this? No, they didn't deserve it. They were arguing who would be the greatest in the kingdom. There was spiritual pride present. By the way, they were on an ego trip who was going to be at the top of the ladder in the kingdom of God. Get this, they were talking, just arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. They were totally and completely insensitive about Jesus Himself, the Savior, the Lord, the Master of Him going to the cross, because if you notice in the first of that chapter, He knew what He was come to do. He was going; he was about to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world. He loved them to the end, and now He demonstrated it. And they were completely insensitive to what who He was and what He was doing. They were caught up. What were they doing? They were caught up in their self. That's what spiritual pride is. Self. They were on an ego trip. They were insensitive to Jesus and what He was going to do going to the cross. And in their self-indulgence, they refused to wash each other's feet. But Jesus demonstrated He starts washing their feet. Great lesson for us, isn't it? Jesus stepped down in great humility. He washes their feet and here we see love demonstrated. Love is demonstrated. Husbands, this is what we ought to do. Husbands is to love their wives in that way. That's, I'm so convicted about that. And when He was done, He said to them, verse 34, look at verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you, have, that you love one another as I've loved you. How did Jesus love them? It wasn't by feelings, was it? It wasn't just emotional? If anything, he probably felt deep pain. I would think he'd feel... The Scripture says he's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. I think he felt sorrow. I think he felt pain in his heart when he was teaching him. Sorrow, indifference to him. But in his sorrow and in his pain, he washes their feet. He loves them to the end. You know, love doesn't act out of what it feels, does it? It does what is right. It serves. Where there's a need, love acts. Love always acts. Love always demonstrates. Love goes the edge to the mile. This is shoe leather faith. This is Christianity 101. But well, we don't see it, do we? It's sad. In a marriage, it isn't a matter of whether our partner deserves our love. It's a matter of sharing and giving love because it's right. It's dutiful. God commands it. Husbands, the word is we need to die to ourselves. right? Let's die to ourselves. It's easier said than done. I'm saying that, but we really need to die to ourselves. Wow, the world tells you to be the macho man, to be the big shot. Let everyone... Anyone step on you, don't let anybody step on my territory. I'm going to fight you back, fight you back, resist. Live for the moment. The Bible says opposite. The Bible teaches opposite. What does it teach? Paul said this, I die daily. I die daily. It speaks about crucifixion. The scripture talks about mortifying the flesh. What does that mean? Put it to death. In Romans, Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. It basically says make no room for it. Put it to death. That's a tall order. That's a command. And by the way, when the Spirit of God abides and dwells on it, it that's going to happen. Sanctification will happen. This is opposite of what the world says. Isn't it? Somewhere along the line, if we're going to love our wives, as God says we should, we should love. If we're going to love her as Christ, who is willing to die, love the church, then we're going to have to make a sacrifice. Go with me to one more chapter. 1 Corinthians 13. Isn't this a convicting chapter? But it, it it's these 13 verses really summarize what God's love really is. I think it's good for us as as husbands and wives to come together and always read this chapter. I think that'd go a long way for helping marriages, don't you? Great commentary. Look at what it says. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, as so to remove mountains, but if I do not have love, I am nothing. That is so convicting. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned like a martyr, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing. And then he defines it. Look at verse 4 Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag, it's not prideful, it's not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account of a wrong suffered. It forgives. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things and endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when, that, when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child. I think like a child, reason like a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. In other words, grow up. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face but I know in part. But then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. But now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest is love. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, Lord help us. Thank you so much for this hour, these wise instructions and righteousness as given through the Apostle Peter by your Spirit, the roles of duties and the husbands of to their wives and wives to their husbands, and extended passage on godly conduct within Christian marriages. Lord, I pray that every Christian couple that would be listening how critical it is that both husbands and wives should seek to love one another and their homes. Especially husbands. Lord, help us. This is such a great command. A duty from you. But a command to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for Lord, I pray for wives as well as willing to submit to their own husbands just as Christ submitted to the Father. O oh God. May the husbands be submissive to you and given her consideration. Chivalry. Communion. Companionship. Lord, we thank you. God forgive us for failing. Lord, if we fail here, we fail everywhere. Help us, O oh God with your blessed spirit to empower us and help us to obey this great command to love one another as you've loved us. To demonstrate it in practical love and servant washing feet in our homes, in the church, and even in the world. And may we be a witness and a testimony to a fallen world of your beauty your holiness and your order. And we ask this in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen and amen.